You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have Cynthia Martinez, an alumna of the Trio Upward Bound Program at Hope College in Michigan. Cynthia is an accomplished journalist, fitness expert, marathoner, and lifelong learner. She's on the podcast to talk about her journey in education, how she found Trio Upward Bound, or how Trio found her, the challenges of COVID, adapting to changes, and her exciting documentary around the Trio Upward Bound program at Hope College. So coming up in just a bit, Cynthia Martinez. I want to take a second to thank today's sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario Riley, Student Access, and Gerber Tours. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a patron of the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Go to Patreon and select your patron level. Our entry-level patron starts at $1 a month. This benefit gets you a shout-out on the podcast, along with some other neat perks. If you own a business, we have advertising space. You can be a patron or a sponsor at $100 a month, and we will run your ad on this podcast. Contact us for details. This episode was exciting to record. You'll have to pardon some of the Zoom glitches here and there. Uh, That couldn't be fixed. Fortunately, Cynthia's audio came across very clear. Cynthia has an amazing story to share, and I can't wait for you all to listen. So without further delay, please enjoy this interview with Cynthia Martinez. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My next guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is an alumna of the Trio Upward Bound program at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. She is a wife, writer, producer, filmmaker, a 12 times marathoner, and three times Boston Marathoner runner. She has traveled to 66 countries, worked as a news fellow for Univision News in Miami. I want to welcome Cynthia Martinez to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Cynthia, welcome. Thank you so much, Juan. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you on Let's Talk Trio. We are so glad to have you, and thank you for being for agreeing to be on the podcast. Uh, you have very impressive credentials, and I'm so excited to hear about your trio story. Thank you, thank you so much. That's uh, those are very humbling words. Um, I feel I feel very blessed to be given the opportunities I have, and um, 
it, it doesn't come without, you know, there's it hasn't come without a lot of struggle and heartache, but um, I'm here today to share all about that with you. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. So before we get to your trio story, we'd like to do a little bit of a warm up on the podcast. Can you tell us something about yourself that wasn't covered in your intro? Yeah. So you did, just, you did share that I am a runner, but um, which has been a passion that I had almost my entire life since it was a young girl. Um, and I took that passion and, and was a fitness professional for the last five years prior to the global pandemic. Um, I enjoy supporting and helping people achieve their health and fitness goals. I've helped many people lose weight, lower their blood pressure, look perfect for their wedding day, train for their first marathon. I've helped uh, women before and after pregnancy um, to help them be strong for labor and delivery and postpartum. And it's a job that um, I didn't mind getting up at 5 a.m. to do. It's something that I love very much. Fitness is a huge part of my of my life. So that's something that is tied to the running that I was doing prior to the pandemic. And then of course, with the pandemic, things really changed and shifted for the fitness industry. Um, mm. And that was very challenging for me. And I feel like, you know, when they talk about there's this discussion or crisis right now happening with 2 million women who have left the workforce um, because of the pandemic, and there's a multitude of reasons why that is, I feel like I'm a part of that because, um, you know, gyms shut down, you know, yeah. and people couldn't work out the way they normally did. And it completely has changed the face of the fitness industry. So. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you already touched on how the pandemic has affected your work just a little bit, but I, I want you to talk to us about how have you had, had to adjust during this pandemic? What, what have you to, had to change for your work? Yeah. So, um, a lot of changes, actually. I feel like I really had to to pivot and sort of reassess uh, what the future of Cynthia's life was going to be like when that when the pandemic happened, because I could no longer work in the in a gym setting. Um, and so, and we also had to move. That was another big thing that happened. I was living in Chicago at the time with my husband um, and my young son, and. Um, you know, they closed down my husband's offices and he also traveled a lot for work. So he couldn't travel as well. And they said that he had to work remotely and with him having mm -hmm. to work remotely and not being in office, it didn't make sense for us to be in a densely populated area like Chicago. And so we retreated back to my hometown in Michigan, Holland, Michigan, um, which is two and a half hours away from, from Chicago. And so we have been oh, living wow, yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So we have been living there since basically, um, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, we still kind of, we had a lease department in Chicago. So we kept it there and we really didn't know how long this was going to be. Right. Like, I think everyone thought that yeah. it was going to be like two weeks, two weeks. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> we yeah. thought it's going to be two weeks. We'll just go retreat to Michigan where, where my family is and this will be over. And that yeah. was case right so um we had kept that apartment even though we were sort of living in michigan we we're like one foot in and one foot out of living in chicago and then we weren't really there and then it's like we were paying this money to have this leased apartment and then we decided to just break that lease and make michigan home for now i mean we still don't know what the future holds and if they're gonna say to my husband you need to be back in the office this year so that's still something that we're not really sure about it right so like this pandemic has has not allowed us to plan life. And I think that's yeah. the case with millions of Americans. And I think that's what creates a lot of anxiety and 
um, for people because you just can't plan, you know? So yeah. that's, that's what's changed for, for me and, and my work and then sort of segment, segued into um, how could I help and give back to my community, which is one of the reasons okay. I'm talking to you today. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I, things, you know, have a funny way of working out and it's got to the point where, and we'll talk about this later, right? About the project that you're working on and we don't want to reveal too much right now, but uh, definitely about the project that you're working on and the quite a year that uh, everyone has experienced, right? Uh, 2020, certainly a roller coaster of a year. Um, what plans did you have uh, for 2020? And were you able to get to at least some of them or most of them or none of them? Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we were supposed to do in 2020 is we're supposed to do a big vacation to Europe. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds like Yeah, fun. and right, and like that didn't, you know, it's sort of actually a sort of bittersweet occasion why we were going to do that my husband's mother had actually passed away in November I'm sorry to hear that yeah thank you um of 2019 and um she was she is from the Netherlands she's actually Dutch um but has Austrian descent as well I should add that because my husband would he's going to hear this and say wait my mom has Austrian descent too my husband's really big into genealogy so family trees and family history is very important to him um anyway we were supposed to go take her ashes back to Europe and sort of do, do a memorial with her family and take time just to remember her life. And yeah. we were going to do that in May of 2020. And obviously we were not able to yeah. do that. So that was one of the big things I think we were a bit disappointed about not being able to do. So there's still that closure we want to have with her life and bring her back to where her husband is, is mm -hmm. buried. Um, so when you say roller coaster of a year, yeah, I mean, I call it, or I've read, it's called the Corona coaster, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that yet, but that's a, that's a very interesting term. Yeah, it really has been an up and down, um, roller coaster of a year, you know? So yeah. no, we didn't get to do that. I think that there were a lot of things we just didn't do, um, that we were hoping to do, but we did a little road trip this summer instead, just in the, around the Midwest when things were mm -hmm. felt kind of a little more safer and open over the summer. And then of course it was like when the fall happened, cases were rising again, at least in our area of the country. And then it was like things mm -hmm. shut down again, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we haven't really, we're just kind of living day to day. No, I absolutely uh, agree. I think it's been two years since I've last seen my parents, and I'm here this week with them, and it's it's been a roller coaster every year for sure, uh, a Corona coaster, as you said, uh, mm -hmm. and it's been just very interesting to kind of figure out, you know, my kids being with me almost twenty four seven. I'm sure you've experienced that with being at home, yeah. being in your with your husband yes. and with your child, and it, it just you you start seeing things right now being with them for for a full year um what have you learned about yourself in this pandemic slash quarantine slash corona coaster of a year <laughs> yeah i've um I'm, i realize i'm capable of a lot right like um and i say a lot i mean just like little well little things like i really wasn't much of a cook before this pandemic. <laughs> also, I'd lived in New York City and in Chicago where, you know, takeout is more common in bigger cities. Um, yeah. And so I just sort of adapted to that lifestyle and I never really cooked. And sort of the running joke in my family was that Cynthia wasn't a, a cook or can't cook, but I quickly learned, you know, <laughs> to really adjust and, and have that desire to want to cook. And um, 
I, I'm really proud of some of the things I've been able to make and the time Yay. that I now have to, to do that, right? Because I was always yeah. go, 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 go. And sort of this pandemic, I think the silver lining of it is it's caused us to sort of to slow down, right? Absolutely. And, and I oh, had yeah. more time to cook. So that was something <laughs> I didn't think I was capable of doing. And it just took patience and time. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> to do. So that's that's one of the things. I think the other thing is just sort of reinventing myself and and mm -hmm. um figuring out other ways to use the skills and and that I have um that I'm capable of that, you know. Absolutely. So, so I, I gotta I gotta ask the obligatory question with your cooking. Did you learn any baking with that? Like did you learn how to bake bread? Because that was oh, like the gosh. whole popular thing. I, no, I will say no. I mean, cooking was as good as it, it gets for here in our household. <laughs> so no, no baking, but maybe, you know, um, I have the, I have a little one and he loves sweets. So I, I want to like learn how to do like oatmeal raisin cookies or something yeah. like that. Um, oh, that's nice. On the list of things to learn how to make. Cause my, my son loves those. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that'll, that's on my list, Juan. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so talking about the pandemic and kind of like the, the things that you've had to figure out in the pandemic, uh, what was your day-to-day -day before the pandemic? Um, yeah. So before that I had, um, I was a personal trainer, uh, and mm. run coach to, um, eight different clients I had started with in Chicago. So, Again, just backing up a little bit, we, my husband and I were living in New York City um, prior to the pandemic and he had gotten a new job in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so the new job, new baby, being, becoming, you know, being parents together, um, all of these new things happened in 2019. And then we moved from New York City to Chicago in October of 2019, right? Right. Um, so it was just a lot of change, especially for me. Um, I, it was a challenging time being a new mom and also sort of feeling a bit isolated and, al and alone because my husband was traveling so much for work um, that I kind of went through a, a tough uh, emotional or I would say, you know, postpartum depression I had a bit. Um, and I share that because I, I want to normalize that. I know that's something that, you know, millions of mothers, new moms deal with and compound that with a, a move across the country um, I loved being in New York city. I'd been there for 11 years and I considered it my home. Um, and so all these changes and, um, we had moved, like I said, moved to Chicago and then I actually started seeing a therapist there. I felt that that would be helpful. And, um, she suggested in January of 2020 that maybe, you know, getting back into work and sort of finding my identity in who I was outside of being a mom, that that yeah. could be helpful. And I thought that was a great idea, right? And in January, everyone's setting new health and fitness goals, right? It's like yeah. new year, new me. And, and so I just went on Facebook and again, cause it was a new community for me. And I posted in a mom group about being a personal trainer, how I've helped others, um, pictures of myself working out while pregnant and um, sort of just shared, you know that I was willing to do um, sessions with people at complimentary first sessions. Yeah. And right away I got a huge response and I got eight clients out of that, you know, and, um, and I was excited, you know, ready to get back into working. I got a babysitter to help me part-time. And the other nice part was that I, um, 
was working within my neighborhood. So I could just walk to these different apartment buildings and just work one-on-one with different clients. And I had a couple that met me in my gym and my building. So Mm -hmm. it worked out nicely. Like everything was perfect. It was the ideal, you know, job to have as a new mom and, and control my schedule. Right. And then the pandemic happened. And so, you know, that was really humbling and it really affected my psyche. Like it just, I, I felt that I found a rhythm, rhythm again, and then it was taken away from me. Oh yeah. And yeah. So that was sort of my day to day before the pandemic. And then of course we made this move to, to Michigan. And so that, yeah. sorry, that was a little bit of a long winded answer. But. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I think no need to, no need for apologies on that. I think the, the audience loves to listen about how those shifts happen for you. Right. Um, so uh, actually an excellent segue to the next question is how, how is your family holding up now that this pandemic, uh, you know, it's, it's hopefully we're at the tail end. Hopefully it's, it's closing, uh, but how are they holding up and how are you? We're doing well. I think the nice part too, is that I haven't been close to my family in decades. You know, um, it's, it's been a while since I've been back in my hometown, Um, so being able to just see them even during the pandemic when, you know, really it was, you know, you, it was not good to gather, right? Like nobody really knew if we should even, we shouldn't be, we were socially isolated from one another, but my mom would still like drop groceries, um, buy at our door or make something for my son, um, and just say hi from the window, which, you know, normally wouldn't happen if we were still in Chicago or New York. So that was just kind of nice to, to see them from a distance or even just talk to them outside briefly. Um, I feel like uh, I've become closer to my family because of that, because of this pandemic, because now we are in closer proximity. So I would say my parents are probably really happy about that, but uh, we're doing good. We're, 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 we're hanging in there, so. Fantastic. So let's dive right into your trio story. Uh, we want to know more about you. And uh, so t- talk to us about your childhood growing up. What was that like? All right. Yeah. So um, I might get a little heavy with you here on my childhood. Um, so buckle up for okay. those listening. But um, <laughs> I and I what I want to share, because I think it's important to highlight that, you know, at the beginning, you were like you were saying all the, these wonderful accomplishments. But you know, there's, there's also some challenging things that have come with that, you know, like my life may look awesome on paper, but I've had a lot of challenges in life. You know, my childhood was dysfunctional. Um, my father is an alcoholic and drug addict. Um, but let's be very clear here. He's been sober for about 25 years. Um, but you know, he didn't sober up until I was a teenager And so there's just a lot of sort of heavy things that happened in my childhood that I do feel that has impacted me all the way into being an adult. And now being a parent, I think some of the things that I've suppressed that I wasn't aware of have sort of surfaced now that I'm a parent. And so I'm, you know, I'm navigating through that. And, um, but yeah, so, um, so there was, you know, a lot of fighting and arguing in my, my home with my parents and, Um, there were many times that, you know, we thought that they would get divorced or they were separated and, um, but I'm proud to say they've, they've really, you know, they, um, have stuck it out and they've been married and together, I want to say 35 years. So, that's um, amazing. yeah, yeah. So we've been through a lot as a family, but we've overcome, you know, um, my parents are, you know, great people of faith. Um, 
you know, even though there may have been those dramas, like we were still in Sunday mass on, you know, in the, on every Sunday morning, you know, they may have had a huge fight the night before, but you better believe like we were getting up in the morning and we were going to be in church. Um, and I feel that that, that sort of has followed me, you know, um, my faith is really important to me, um, because of that, because even in the struggle or the heartaches or the trauma, my parents still made faith a priority. Um, you know, we, my parents also taught, taught me and I had an entrepreneurial spirit. Like they both, you know, had two day jobs, but then like my dad moonlighted as a drummer in a band and at the Hano band and my mom sold makeup. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, if we weren't, you know, if we, if my mom wasn't taking me on these makeup runs with her, we were traveling with the band to like quinceaneras and weddings on the weekends. And my, my older brother and I, you know, because we were always trying to like make a buck, we would try to get all the beer cans um, after the, the party, because in Michigan, you get a 10 cent refund for the cans. So, you know, for us kids, it was, that was like, Hey, you know, we can get 25, 50 bucks if we collect all these cans from these weddings and quinceaneras. That was so cool. So, um, you know, money was always tight around the house, but when, when my parents had it, they, they would take us to do things, you know? So we were, we were, I wouldn't say we were extremely poor, but we always had what we needed. Maybe not always what we wanted, but we had what we needed. Um, yeah. So, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Cynthia. I think a lot of students and a lot of participants, even alum, would re- they, they would hear your story and they say, that resonates with me and that I can definitely connect with that, you know, uh, being a um, uh, first-generation, low-income student that I, I, they needed whatever they needed to do to survive. So, uh, th- again, thank you for sharing that. So, kind of now on you, describe yourself a little bit. Were you very quiet as a kid or were you very curious about the environment of you? Um, I'd say a little mix of both. I think because of, like I said, the dysfunction that was in our house, I was pretty quiet at home. You know, my dad would have these, you know, bursts of like anger issues or things like that. But then like, so I was just very quiet and compliant because I didn't want to cause any other trouble or stress in the home. But then at school, I was very much a social butterfly and I didn't shut up. Like you would, you could see my report cards or, um, or the teacher would always say like, Cynthia is a social butterfly. She really needs to like not talk so much. So, um, yeah, so there's always this, you know, two sides of the coin with Cynthia. Yeah. As a child. So, yeah. So, and you were very social, it sounds like. Yeah, very, very aware about your environment and just talking to people. That, that's, yes. that's a great combination. Yeah. Uh, so talk to us about uh, your parents. I know you did a little bit already about your dad, but talk about, talk about your mom and your dad. What sort of support did they provide for you? Um, you know, here's the thing. Uh, one of the biggest things, when I, I go, let me go back to running. Um, And it makes me emotional. I think about why running is such a significant part of my life. It was the one thing that my dad did with me when he was sober and um, he would take me on runs with him. And like at a young age, you know, I realized I could keep up with him. And then that sort of led into my middle school and high school years where I realized I had a talent for running and I could keep up Mm -hmm. with the older kids in in school. And um, so that was something very special. And I feel like that's like a superpower that my dad gave me. And, um, yeah. 
And um, as far as my mom, like she's open, both my dad, I should say too, they're just the, the faith aspect that they've taught me and work ethic, you know? Yeah, well, that's a big one. Always, yeah, trying to make a buck in any way that they could. You know, I remember my mom would have us deliver phone books in the summer, you know, and she tried to make it a fun game. And at the end of the of delivering all these phone books, we would go out for ice cream, you know, yeah. or she'd take us to the beach, you know? So there was yeah. like this reward after and she'd make it a game. Like how fast can you get these three books over to those three houses, you know? And um, yeah, so they've in, instilled a work, a strong work ethic, a can do attitude um, into me. Yeah. That's amazing, um, which is a great question. I guess another great segue into the next next question about uh, when you started uh, to attend elementary school, uh, did you look at education as, yeah, this is something I'm drawn to, this is great, learning about basic, you know, reading skills, writing skills, all that, or did it take some time to get adjusted to? What, 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 what camp did you fall on that? I would say school has always been a challenge for me, um, you know, I feel like I was always trying to keep up. And this is one thing I will hold over my mother's head. She put me in school too early. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and and it could have been because they, it was maybe childcare, right? Like they right, both right. were always working, right? They mm -hmm. had their factory jobs. My mom worked in an automotive plant, like Michigan's known for the automotive industry. And my dad worked in a for his company called Heart and Cooley, it was like they made registers or metal vents for, for corporations. So they both worked long hours. Mm -hmm. And I think my, I don't know, I mean, I guess I would have to ask, this is my assumption that she just needed to put me somewhere, right? <laughs> so um, yeah. I guess that was good enough or test enough to be in, in um, school at an early age. And, but I always felt I was behind. I always felt like I was trying to keep up and mm. Um, and so that was really hard for me. Um, so I wouldn't say naturally I've always loved school or loved learning because mm -hmm. I, I always knew, I always was aware of the fact that like, I, I couldn't read as well as everyone else. Um, or I couldn't keep up with math the way everyone else did, you know, or I noticed I would always maybe get a little extra attention from the teacher. because She would pull me aside to help me, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So, my first yeah. Thought, think, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I think that's a, another kind of excellent segue into this next question is, even though you didn't, uh, you, even though you felt like you were uh, a little bit behind, did you have a favorite subject? Was there a subject connected at school that you really enjoyed the most? Um, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, lunch? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> lunch? <laughs> Recess? No. <laughs> That's a subject, right? Yes. Um, in all seriousness, no, I really loved like the arts and like the athletic part of the school. Again, like loved music yeah. class, theater, uh, gym class. Um, I would say honestly were more of my favorite. Again, going back to math and reading was always a struggle. Um, and so I can't say it was like my favorite thing or it was like Oh, you know, I, I will take that back though. Let me think about it. the one time that I really feel like I shined was in the third grade in Miss McQueen's class. We were doing multiplication tables. Oh. And I uh -huh. studied the heck out of my multiplication tables because she made this like outer space map 
in, in the classroom and you moved your little spaceship from planet to planet based on what multiplication tables you were trying to master. And I actually won yeah. that. <laughs> you won I, that one. I won that. And, and we would have this every day um, test. We got like a minute or 90 seconds to, to fill out our multiplication table. So it started out with the twos and then the threes, then the fours, all the way up to yeah. 11 or 12. And we had to move our little spaceship from planet to planet based on what multiplication tables we were mastering that day and I wanted to be the first one to get my spaceship to the to the final planet and I did win that (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome fantastic I will not you're right I so multiplication tables I mastered in the third grade so (laughs) that's awesome I'm so glad you got to to share this memory with us because I think even among a lot of trio students, right, they, they have a little memory of some p- part of their education where they're like, you know what, I really liked this aspect, or I really connected with this, or I really excelled in this area. So, uh, Cynthia, so, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that with us. Awesome. Uh, for many students uh, from elementary to middle school, and we're going to go now to middle school, what was the transition period like for you, and uh, what was um, I would say, uh, I think, again, that it was a, a challenging again, still a lot of drama happening at home. Um, but at the same time, I think I was aware, again, a more awareness of always trying to keep up with everyone. Um, I also became more aware of, of being like the only Latina in my sort of friend group. Like there wasn't a lot of diversity. I never really noticed it as a young child so much as mm-hmm. it started. I was more aware because, you know, middle school was much bigger. You know, I feel like my, my, my elementary school was small. And then all of a sudden, all the elementary schools come together into one middle school in the community. And that's when yeah. I really started noticing that, like, I just felt different from everyone else. I didn't look like everyone else. And I, that was hard for me because I didn't feel that sense of belonging all the time. So I felt like that was always, and then of course the trauma that I had going on at home, you know, so it's, it, I definitely feel like there was always a sort of a, a challenging time and always trying to fit in, mm-hmm. right? In middle school, I think that's when you start realizing like who has money and who doesn't, like yeah. who gets to take vacations and who has the name brand clothing and stuff. Um, you start becoming aware of those things, um, which then I think can affect how you learn, I guess, you you get distracted with those things and you can be bullied for those things. So. I I, I would concur. I think that's middle school is when you really become aware of who has money, uh, who is doing more things. And you, there's a a sense of isolation that kind of happens with that. Um, But for you, you know, middle school, Definitely a time of, of, of self-discovery. Students are either drawn to music, art, athletics, or a combination of a variety of subjects. Can you talk to us about what spoke to you in middle school? I actually really liked band. I my because I mentioned earlier, my dad was- So you a, did band? I did do band. <laughs> um, <laughs> I My father was a musician. I come from a family full of musicians and singers. And um, so I got to be in the honors choir. I tried out for that starting in middle school. And I, I made that and I was very proud of that. Um, I played percussion um, like my father, although I will say I wanted to play the saxophone, but I had a hard time with the, like, you know, being able to make the read 
or the blowing on the instrument and making it work. So it just didn't work for me. So I couldn't do that instrument so easily. I gravitated to percussion. Um, and it was really neat because we have this um, tulip time festival in the community that I grew up in because it is a primarily Dutch community. Um, and so we would have these big festivals where um, everyone that's in different bands in the different schools in the community got to march in the parade, which I really loved. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm just kind of like a little taken aback, like you were, you were in band and that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so Cynthia, we are going to take a quick 10 minute break on the podcast. So okay. for our audience, we'll be right back uh, more with Cynthia, a trio alum, with Upward Bound. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Gerber Tours, the student travel experts. Gerber Tours' mission is to forever change how students see the world around them. They are the student travel experts with over 50 years of experience in providing complete custom tailored itineraries and flexible planning to enhance and support your program's goals. Gerber Tours believes that travel profoundly affects a student's experience and should be accessible to all and always be safe and well-planned. Gerber Tours offers trio educational tours that allow students to explore education beyond the classroom. Their team of experts develops programs filled with historical attractions, cultural experiences, and college and university visits to fit your budget without sacrificing quality. They are committed to providing your students with an exciting, educational, and fun-filled journey that will inspire them to follow their dreams. Hi everyone, Juan Rivas here, host of the Let's Talk Trio podcast and former Upward Bound director. I know firsthand how challenging it can be to plan for educational trips for students. Thankfully, the staff at Gerber Tours are experts in crafting one-of-a-kind experiences for TRIO programs. Whether you're traveling to Los Angeles or Washington, D.C., you can rely on Gerber Tours to bring you the sights and sounds of the nation to your students. Call them at 1-800-645-9145. Again, that number is 1-800-645-9145 or visit their website at www.gerbertours.com. That website again is www.gerbertours.com to request a free quote. I'm counting from three, two, one. And we are back with Cynthia Martinez, who is a TRIO alum of the Upward Bound program from Hope College. We're about to get to that story of how you joined Upward Bound and the project that you're working on, but we're really getting into the story about everything that's been uh, happening to you at this point. Uh, we're at the middle school portion of your life. Uh, so education support is, is important and family support and all of that is, is great, right? Um, what was your learning environment at home and how did you make that work? Um, you know, I have to, again, going again, I think that I, I can't honestly say that I had a strong learning environment at home. Um, Again, I think it had to just do with my parents working and just life. And, um, you know, I always sort of, when people ask about the ask sort of question, like what, what bedtime story did your parents read to you? Well, no, my parents didn't read Goodnight Moon to me, you know? Yeah. And I don't say that to be like, you know, I don't say that in a negative way. Again, their priorities are just different. And I think that's a lot of what first-gen students experience. Like it's, it's about survival. Um, you know, I, but I will, again, going back to the positivity that my parents just sort of fostered the, whatever you want to do, you can do it. You know, yeah. I, I think it had to do a lot with the crowd that I sort of hung out in school. Like when I would, when I, this is more towards high school because I wasn't athletics. Mm -hmm. I would, um, when we would do team gatherings, I would go to the homes of my peers 
And I would see the college degrees on their parents, you know, in the basement or the the flags of the colleges that their parents went to. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the environment where I saw like, okay, so they had these nice things or they lived on the lake because we, we live next to Lake Michigan. And I would say, oh, education, like that's the ticket to having, I guess, nice things or having opportunity to like, you know, you know, do, do things or, or have the extra basketball lessons in the summer, things mm-hmm. like that. So um, I'm just grateful my parents let me do athletics, you know, yeah. and um, <laughs> were supportive of that, you know, because that's sort of where I feel that there was that huge influence in my life as when it pertains to my learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is so awesome. So when you shared earlier about you being in band, I was going to share with you that uh, that's kind of like where my dad was supportive in that area. He was like, you can be in band. So I joined band in junior high and in high school, uh, but he wouldn't let us do athletics because he was like, oh, that sounds too expensive. So mm-hmm. he kind of drew the line at band. Okay. Gotcha. Well, here's the thing. Like I worked, you know, I, I, and I shared a little, we're going to get in a little bit, but you know, I, I picked blueberries as a young child. My oh, mom wow. had us in the blueberry fields and we helped pay for our school clothing, picking blueberries. And then when I got to be 14, um, I worked at my aunt's, she's my madrina, my godmother, her Mexican restaurant that she had in our community. And I rode my bike to the restaurant and I worked there in the summers and that's how I afforded, you know, um, the things I needed for athletics. But I, I do have a story that does go with that, you know. Oh, please share. Um, and I say this because there was one year that I think it, it was middle school or maybe it was my freshman year in, in high school. But I do recall needing to get basketball shoes. And, you know, I didn't have the money yet to get that. But my parents did take me to get them. And I wanted Nikes like everyone else on my team. Yeah. Well, my parents couldn't afford that. And that's just a real, that really stick that moment or that memory really sticks to me because I, I wanted the Nike shoes and they had to get the off-brand shoes. And, and I think that might've been a motivator to me working in, especially in the summers. Like if I wanted the nice shoes or I wanted the nice clothes that my peers had, well, I had to work for it, you know? And so that's how I was able to be a part of athletics, you know, and when we had to take the pictures for athletics, like you know, I wanted those pictures and I paid for those pictures, you know? So, um, yeah. So I guess when it goes to athletics, I just, I just worked and that's how I was able to afford those extras that you needed for it. Cause you're right. It is, it is expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all, uh, that's amazing, right? That you had to contribute your own, uh, financial earnings that uh, you worked out in the fields and you brought money in to finance you being able to participate in athletics. Yes. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, which is again another great segue into uh, high school. Uh, that transition from high school, middle school to high school, definitely brings its own set of challenges. Talk to us about your experience uh, in high school. What was that like? Um, high school. Well, I would say high school is when I found the Trio Upward Bound program, um, and I feel that that was sort of a defining moment in my life because, again. Um, my parents didn't necessarily were like looking at my grades. I think that I, you know, they, as long as there wasn't any major issues or nobody was calling home, like there really wasn't, I guess, an issue or a red flag for them, but I knew I was just sort of getting by and that was sort of good enough. But then 
as people started, again, my peer group talking about college, that's when I thought, yeah, well, what's next for you, Cynthia? Like, what, how are you going to do that? Like no one in your family has gone to college. Like, how are you going to get there? Right. So my mom, actually, I have an older brother had put my brother in upward bound. Oh, really? Um, yeah. There's some, there's, I think this is like kind of vaguely remember. Um, and I, and I think that's how I initially got introduced to it. But, and then I remember just me physically going to my high school counselor, um, and me taking that initiative, um, and doing that. Um, and just from there, like begging to be put in, you know, and I think the other part of it too, was because like (laughs) you got to stay in the dorms at the, at at our case, it was Hope College. And again, I wanted to do anything to sort of get away from sort of the things I was experiencing at home. So I, I almost found Upper Bound as sort of a beacon um, to sort of isolate myself and an environment where um, people were up applauding and wanting me to do well. And again, I don't, I want, I don't want to put my parents down. It's just like their priorities at that time, I think were different that they just didn't know. And I also, my parents, 10 years later, after they had me and my older brother, they had my a younger, I have a younger brother and sister. Mm-hmm. So my parents are very young parents, right? Like my mom had my brother when she was 16 and she had me when she was 18. And then my parents got married. Right. So they were like high school sweethearts. They knew each other since high school. And then 10 years later, they had my younger brother and sister. And I had to help a lot with them because my parents work so much. And so when I participated in Upward Bound, it was like, I had to go to tutoring and I had to stay in the dorms over the summer. So that was like, mm-hmm. I could get out of taking care of my brother and sister. <laughs> um, so, um, and I, and I liked that and I just, and I loved yeah. the mentorship and the tutoring. And um, so anyway, that's sort of, I guess your question to answer how that I segued from high school to middle or middle school to high school and into to upward bound. It was just this sense yeah. of urgency around what was next for Cynthia's life after high school. And I started noticing that, like I said, when I was in the homes of, of my peers. Absolutely. So what was that experience like being in Upward Bound? I know you talked about, about the supportive environment, about being able to go into the residence program and uh, being away in the summer. You talked about that, but let, let's talk about that ex- the full experience of the Upward Bound program. What did you most enjoy about that? Yeah. So like I said, I always felt that I was behind in school, um, always trying to play catch up. And I loved that there was this one-on-one tutoring. I took full advantage of that. And I really feel that that is what helped my grades be, you know, be good enough to even apply to college. Um, and, and it was because of that. When, whenever there was availability for tutoring, I took it. And I even asked the advisors and administrators there at the time, like if I needed tutoring on the weekend, they made sure that I had it, you know? And so I was very grateful to, um, I don't want to add that these two women who are still there today, who are the director and the assistant director of, of Trio Upper Bound at Hope College is Andrea Mireles and Liz Colburn. Um, Andrea has been there for 37 years, I believe is what she told me last. And wow. Liz almost 40 years. Wow. You know? I think it says a lot about, you know, our particular program in Holland at Hope College is because of these two women, Um, you know, so they've known me from a young age. Andrea has seen me grow up in the church. Um, And so they're like madrinas, you know, like godmothers to me. Um, And they're 
a huge part of my life still. And I think um, they're an, an integral part of the program at Hope College, at Trio Upper Bound Hope College. Um, and so their impact on my life. And I will add one other woman who's not currently working there, but she still, I believe, works at the college. It could be wrong. Her name is Yoli Vega. And she mm -hmm. was also just an incredible mentor to me at that time in my life. So it's the mentorship. Um, it was the tutoring. It was just being on a, on a college campus was just yeah. so inspiring to me. Eating in the dining hall, like, you yeah. know, at Hope College, it's called Phelps Hall um, there. But um, yeah, it just, it really was in a defining moment in my life being a part of Trio Upper Bound. That's awesome. I think that Trio Upper Bound has, has learned something about ourselves as participants uh, or teaches us very, very valuable skills. Did you learn something more about yourself as you picked up these skills or during your time in Upper Bound? Yeah, just um, knowing it's okay to ask for help, like, because they kept saying, like, just ask, or this is the resources we have, like, I just learned to take advantage of that. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, I believe that I brought that in with me into college, was never afraid to ask for help. I was never, um, uh, I should say, um, afraid to ask to, to a teacher for office hours. Like, yeah. I, I would sit in the front row in college. Um, I, I learned that I was capable. I learned that I was resilient through this yeah. trio upper bound. That's amazing. Uh, every student that I've interviewed that comes from a Trio Upward Bound program always highlights one part that they live, live most about the program. For you, what was that thing? What was that the thing that you loved most about Upward Bound? Wow. Well, I feel like I feel like we're kind of repeating myself. <laughs> a little yeah. bit, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. Um, tutoring, hands-on tutoring, because okay. because I always felt like I said behind in school, like just having one-on-one -on -one immediately made me right there with my peers, if not better. And the wow. same thing for college. That's awesome. Uh, and then uh, the the dorms. I loved the summers <laughs> uh, on college dorms. Yeah. Awesome. And the trips, of course. You know, oh, just having trips, accessibility to things outside of your your community, like going mm -hmm. to a bigger city. Like we, they took us to Chicago and to St. Louis and whitewater rafting. And I feel that those things expand your mind and your horizons to what is out in the world and uh, makes you a better citizen and Absolutely. understanding of diversity and, and just having a greater awareness of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did Tree Upward Bound enhance or add to your overall high school experience? 100% enhanced everything about my high school experience. Um, again, we would not be having this conversation today if it weren't for me having Trio Upper Bound in high school. Um, yeah. It just, it gave me confidence that I could achieve the goals and dreams I had for myself. Awesome. Were you thinking about college about uh, around high school? Like, was college something in your mind already ingrained? Uh, or was it something you already knew you were going to do? Uh, what was your thought pro process about college? It definitely wasn't something that, like, was instilled in, in me from a young age or anything like that. Um, I definitely would say a big part of that was was being in Trio Upper Bound. Um, they really fostered that in me 
And again, going back to just being in the environment where my peers who all came from very affluent families, that that was sort of the, what was next? Like you, you go right. to college, that's what everybody's going to do next, you know? So, and I, I knew I didn't want to work in a factory, you know, that, right. that's what my right. parents did. I knew I didn't want to be yeah. paycheck to paycheck. And I mm -hmm. felt that college was sort of the way out of that. Mm -hmm. Did you have a lot of colleges or universities in mind that you were considering or were there, were there options of colleges that you were looking at? Um, not really. I mean, I got to be honest, like I, I got into, I think it was just, I applied to probably two colleges and I got into both and I mm -hmm. wanted to be actually a pilot. Um, and the oh. program that I applied to at, at the school I applied to that has a aviation program is Western Michigan university. And I, and I got into Western. So I just knew, mm -hmm. I knew that I, I wanted to be a pilot. I knew, well, from a young age, actually, I, should, I guess if I'm going to go back kindergartner, I, being a kindergartner, I wanted to be an astronaut. And yeah. I knew, I guess the other side of it is, well, you need college to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, talk to us about your mentors and instructors during high school. Are there any particular teachers or mentors you want to recognize on the podcast? Yeah, um, my algebra teacher, teacher, Mrs. Soto. Um, she also, again, I once I started really taking advantage of the services that Upward Bound, um, like the tutoring, I knew that um, how valuable that was to ask for help. And Mrs. Soto was always available for me before and after school when I let, when I, especially when I knew I had an upcoming test or something. And so it would be great to get back in touch with her. Um, Aww, yeah. so she was always, she was my, oh, my high school teacher. Um, Mr. Knoll, he was my track coach. He was the English teacher at the school. I didn't have him for English class, but um, he's just a great inspiring man. Um, and then of course, going back to Liz and Andrea and Yoli, who I mentioned earlier, were a, a pivotal, or I should say, and, mm -hmm. um, they were very important mentors in my life. So, yeah. yeah. So at this point, you're looking oh, at graduating I, from high school. I'm gonna say, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, um, a tutor named Jesse that was one of my UV oh. coaches. And I don't know how, maybe I can find her some way, somehow, but she also was huge in helping me with math and science. Yeah. So wherever you are, Jesse, hopefully maybe I can connect with you again. That would be amazing. That's awesome. That's <laughs> an awesome shout out, by the way. That's that's so cool. I hope you all get to connect. Um, at this point, so you're, you're about to graduate from college and graduation is a mile marker for a lot of students. Talk to us about your graduation. Uh, how did that feel? Uh, walk us through that experience. Yeah, high school graduation. Gosh, I was so incredibly emotional. I feel like that was just, it was, uh, again, another defining moment in my life, knowing the struggles that I had up into that point. And it, it also feeling there was before Upper Bound, not sure if like college was even a possibility and just everything I had been, uh, been through up until that point. Um, all those tutoring sessions, all those before and after school sessions with Mrs. Soto, um, finally, you know, I, I had come to a point where I'd accomplished just getting that, that, that high school diploma was really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for many college or career opportunities usually present themselves around this time. Did you know what college you wanted to attend? And where did you finally like make the decision of like, this is the college I'm going to go? 
I definitely knew I wanted to go to Western Michigan University because of the the aviation program that they had. The other school that I had considered was Aquinas College. It's a Catholic college in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, But alternatively, I thought maybe going into education or being a school teacher was something that I also had an interest in. But I wanted to be a pilot so bad. And so that's why I went to Western. Yeah. Uh, How did the trio upward bound assist in your transition to college? Um. Well, I definitely would say that uh, they made me very aware of of having an understanding of the different offices at colleges, where to go to the you know the financial aid offices, where the provost was, where the deans of whatever school that you need support from. Like they made sure that you had an awareness of of these you know resources at college they made sure that you knew what a FAFSA was and how to fill that out, which you need to continue to do over the course of you know four to five years that you may be in college. So Upper Bound helped me have the confidence in transitioning into higher education, which ultimately I went on to get a graduate degree. And you know I knew that I could do all of those things because Upward Bound made sure that I had a foundation um, set and instilled in me in, in when it came to a higher education. Absolutely. Talk to us about your college experience. What did you like most about going to college? Um, I, I really just enjoy the independence. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, you, again, for me, I was excited just to, to get away from my community or out of my household and, and be able to, you know, have my own time in my own um, space. You know, like I said, we I grew up having, you know, there was four of us in my family and in our smaller home with one bathroom, you know, so it was kind of nice, you know, yeah, I guess in the dorms, you do sort of have to share bathrooms with others, but there's multiple bathrooms. You're not waiting for the shower, <laughs> um, but yeah, just the, right. the, the independence <laughs> that you, you have in college and, um, the friends that you meet, the connections that you create, the mentorship from professors. Um, really, I, I started to really absorb and enjoy learning. All right. Yeah. Um, you said earlier in the program, you said aviation was something that you really was looking forward to, that that's really where you wanted to be. Um, but you, you, it sounds like you ended up switching or ended up going to a different program. Is that right? That is correct. Um, and that's one of the main reasons, you know, that we're, I wanted to talk to you today because, um, of a big project that I'm working on that sort of stems out of one of the reasons I didn't get to finish aviation school and that's finances. And I, I started, um, school, I was able to be in the aviation program. I went on to solo uh, a Cessna 172 aircraft, which is what you, you know, as pilots, you first learn in that plane. Um, But I just couldn't continue flying because it was, there was a significant amount of um, financing that you needed to, for, for flight school, right? So there was the part of the college part of, or academic part of, of the aviation program. And then there was the flight part of the program. Mm. And it's very expensive to, you know, you have to rent the plane out. You have to rent, you have to pay for an instructor to teach you. So it's a bit more to, to um, be in an aviation program than it would be to do just a traditional t- college degree. Yeah. And yeah. 
So I just didn't have the finances to, to finish, but I was able to solo the aircraft, which was a really amazing thing to be able to do to say that, yes, I have flown an airplane by myself. Right. I can do that. That's something I've been able to do. So, yeah. So what program did you ultimately uh, switch into? Yeah. So I uh, changed my major to aviation administration. Okay. So basically that was um, taking all business classes my last year of school. Um, so like accounting, finance, economics classes, learning how to work in an airport um, or you wanted to work for an airline, having an understanding for the, for working in that industry. And yeah. so it was a lot of more reading and writing and uh, about, AV, about, AV, uh, about the airlines, I guess you could say, yeah. in corporate aviation. And in fact, my last year of school, I, I worked at the local airport at a, what they call a fixed-based operator. And at the time, it was called Tulip City Airport, again, because I'm it's the, the town I'm from is called Holland, Michigan. And yeah. I worked at that airport on the weekends. And yeah. um, it's a pretty awesome experience. Very cool. Uh, what did you learn in college and what did you learn about yourself? What did I learn in college? Um, well, a lot of, a lot of things. Um, and uh, I, about myself, just that I, I'm capable of so much that um, I think, again, I, I've never let my circumstances define who I am. Um, again, you know, I, I, the, my upbringing was challenging, but I never like let that be brought into what I was capable of accomplishing. And um, even throughout college, you know, I, another thing is in, because I had to take a lot of math and science classes for aviation, I would spend hours in the tutoring labs um, in college, you know, so yeah. the students who were the tutors were like all the engineering students. <laughs> And there's a tutor lab that was there open from like 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. And I literally was in there every day um, because I had to take calculus and physics for an aviation degree, you know. So I realized I'm, I'm capable of so much, even though math and science has always been a, a challenge for me. Like, I just know it takes me a little more time and I'm just as capable of, of being able to understand math and science and um, I think that's what I re recognized being in college that, that I am capable of so much. I may have to work harder than most other people, but I can do it. Absolutely. Uh, after graduating from college, uh, do you know, or what, how did you determine was next for you? Well, going back to again, finances, uh, I actually, I wanted to either work for an airline or then alternatively, I was considering being a nanny. So this is a whole, mm, okay. uh, yes, a nanny. I say nanny because I had saw that like, if you worked for a family that, you know, was a bit more affluent, that wanted someone that had a college mm. education to help educate their kids. And if you live with them, they would like pay for your housing, you know, give you, give you a, you know, car to have. And all I could think about was all the debt that I was in from school. And I, I wanted to pay that off. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then there was alternatively working at an airline and being a flight attendant because I wanted to travel. <laughs> uh, but mm -hmm. I really didn't pay that much. So I became a nanny. And I worked for a family actually in Chicago and um, was able to start paying some of that college debt off 
and yeah. um, was able to do some unique traveling with the family. And that's been one of my biggest passions and why I wanted to be a pilot is just to travel and have new experiences. And um, awesome. so I sort of segued into being a nanny and, um, and I think there, I kind of, that was a pivotal moment for me too, because the family that I'd worked for, the father wanted me to stay there longer, but I, I wanted to then go move to a bigger city like New York or LA because I had yeah. read a Forbes article that you could make like six figures if you worked for some of these like A-list people or very, uh -huh. um, very successful financial um, gurus in, in these mm -hmm. bigger cities. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. And yeah. uh, I ended up moving to New York City and, and, and did that. And that's sort of what brought yeah. me to the next point in my life, my, and again, my former employer was like, no, you need to go to grad school. We'll help you pay for grad school. And yeah. I thought, Hmm, you know, that's pretty enticing. He says, going to pay for grad school, still pay me a salary and won't have any living expenses. And then I, I did apply to a grad school and I didn't get in. And I sort of felt like, you know, I wasn't good enough. Like, Oh, I guess I'm just not good enough to get into a grad school. And um, I also had gone through a very bad breakup at the time. And Aww, um, yeah. there, yeah, there's just like a few different things that I just felt that my season in that part of in my life was like over and it was time to move on. And again, it was like 23 or 24 years old, still trying to figure out myself. And mm -hmm. um, I was like, you know, I'm just going to move to the big city and give that a try for a year, you know? Yeah. And so I went and did that. And one year ended up becoming 11 years. So yeah. Um, and that was okay that I didn't get into that grad school because in the end, like there was another plan for me a few years later, I did, when I felt that I was ready for grad school, I did apply to grad school in New York city. And so yeah. that was the genesis of a whole nother part of my life. <laughs> Which is an excellent segue. Cause can you talk to us about that? The, the, the decision to the, obtain the master's program there, because it sounds like you applied to it, you got in. Can you tell us about the school and what program you, you wanted to go into? Yeah. So um, after a few more years of, of nannying um, in New York City, I realized, okay, like I can't do this for the rest of my life. Sure, it's amazing money and you're traveling all over the world and um, getting access to amazing opportunities, but sort of the what's next for Cynthia again was going through my head. And, you know, I, I was in my late twenties and I knew that I wanted a family and I wanted to get married eventually and all of those things. And I knew that that like being a nanny was not like something I wanted to do while being married and have my own kids. Like, so, mm -hmm. um, that's when I started thinking about like grad schools, you yeah. know, I wasn't sure what exactly, but I knew that I wanted to pursue a higher education, like get a, to get a master's degree. And so I looked at a few different colleges there in New York City. Um, and one of those schools was Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. Mm -hmm. And I went to an information session there and it was just, it was very inspiring. It was very incredible to be on a campus that is, that is incredibly prestigious and historic. I mean, it is an Ivy League school. Uh, and I just remember really being impacted by just walking the grounds of Columbia and going to that informational session and the admissions advisor there saying like, if you want to make a difference 
in the lives of others, like Columbia is the place to be, like the journalism school is the way to do that. Yeah. And I was just like sold. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna apply to this school. And the other school I had looked at was Hunter College. And I thought about going into higher education or yeah, like higher education, like, or working um, in some capacity, maybe at a college or something was my other thought. Again, cause I enjoy mm-hmm. working with youth. Um, and I applied to Columbia and miraculously I got in, I was accepted into Columbia wow. University Graduate School of Journalism. I, you know, it was incredible. I remember getting that letter and just being on my knees, sobbing, thanking God for the opportunity and sort of reflecting back at like not getting into DePaul University in Chicago mm. and thinking, well, like the universe, God always has a plan. You know, sometimes we don't get what we want always, but God's delays are not his denials. There's always a different plan. So anyone who's hearing this, like sometimes things don't go your way, but there's, there's a reason for it. And, and there may be something down the road that's even bigger or better than that thing that maybe you want right now in this moment, but isn't really for you at this moment, because there's something else down the road that's coming to you. That's even better than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You also listed on, on your credentials that you were also a trio upward bound academic coach. What was that experience like? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Um, I, I knew this was after my freshman or sophomore year of college. And again, like, you know, that first year out of college and you have to go back to your parents' home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so used to having all this independence And I just didn't want my parents sort of like monitoring my every move. And I knew I had to get a summer job, right? Like I've always worked since I was a young child. So I had to have some sort of job for the summer. And I knew like, again, talk again, Liz and Andrea, like communicated with them if they, they needed support in any way. And they said, yeah, apply for the, for the, um, academic coach position. Like we're always looking and, you know, we know you. And so I applied as, and I got the job and, um, it was awesome. It was awesome just to, to give back to, to the, to the young people in, in Trio Upperbound, knowing how much it had an impact on me. Like as mentioned before, like Jesse, the tutor that was so significant in my life, I just wanted to, to be that to other students. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of high energy and can be chaotic, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a teenage <laughs> kids, you got to sort of yeah. rank together and, get them to be quiet at certain times, but you want to be cool and fun too, because you can relate to being that age. Um, but I feel that, you know, just having those experiences has, has shaped who I am, but also allowed me to sort of have these really high profile nanny jobs that I had because I've had yeah. these experiences, right. When I would go and nanny for some of these nanny jobs that I had, I could share that, you know, I've had experience with kids of all walks of life and, can balance a lot of things because you have to do that when you're an academic coach. You're driving the van, you're waking these <laughs> kids up, you're making sure you're being the drill sergeant, you know, and then um, you have to be responsible and, uh, but also fun at the same time and make, make learning fun. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So you've worked in media now uh, for Univision yes. and you're currently working on a project. Can you talk to us about it, the, this project? Yes. So I'm very excited to share with you that I have been working, producing a documentary and it's called First Voice Generation. Um, You can follow that on Facebook or Instagram. 
And it's a project that I started in July of 2020. And I started the project basically um, because of this pandemic. It's, it's focused on the students of Upward Bound in my community from the TRIO um, Hope College Upward Bound program. I had read on a Facebook post over like, I wanna say May or June that um, Andrea had shared about how the summer program was going to be virtual. And wow, I was just thinking to myself, how are they gonna make that work? What is that going to look like? I know for me, the summers on Hope College were some of the most impactful summers of my life. And I just can't fathom how they're gonna make something so special, uh, you know, have that much impact virtually. Mm -hmm. And so I just contacted the advisors at the program and I, and I said, what is this gonna look like? How are you gonna do this? And what do you think of me documenting what you are all going through? And um, there really wasn't any hesitation from them. They were like all in. I, I think I was more terrified because um, I hadn't picked up a camera in a while because you know I had, yes, worked at Univision. I had you know done stuff in grad school and everything with doing one man band. Um, news pieces, right? Like Columbia mm -hmm. teaches you that you need to write, edit, and produce your entire news piece start to, you know, from the beginning wow. to the end. Yeah. So you need to learn how, all of those skills. They, they have their graduates come out with all that skill set. And I had sort of made a pivot into the fitness industry. So it'd been a while since I had picked up a camera. I didn't even own a camera. Let's just be honest. Right. So, but <laughs> I, I knew the, the importance and, and how to tell stories, right. And I knew that this pandemic was impacting young people and particularly um, underrepresented communities, minority students, students just like me were being impacted. And obviously this, this program like, couldn't function the way it normally does. And I wanted to shine a light on that. So I knew in my gut, it was a story that I needed to follow. Um, I just needed access and, and they gave me that access. And so that's sort of the genesis of, of how I started documenting these students. And I just started following these young people going through the summer program from home. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they're exhausted. There's that screen fatigue that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, then I would also go into some and see, visit some of the teachers teaching virtually while they were on with the students on the other end. Yeah. And getting their perspective on how they were teaching and how things were different this year compared to years past. And when the program ended, I could see the nervousness, the anxiety that the students had about the upcoming school year. Mm -hmm. You know, what was school going to be like? You know, oh my gosh, I've been virtual learning all summer with UB. And now do I have to do that? for the rest of the school year. Yeah. And so they were very overwhelmed by that, you know, and then of course, you know, their parents experiencing issues because a lot of the parents are essential workers, um, having to take care of younger siblings. So there's just all of these extra challenges that, you know, UB students have to, that were, they were facing and I couldn't put the camera down <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to just keep following the kids and with the permission of the kids and the program and parents, of course, like, these individuals just let me be that fly on the wall in their homes and in their different activities. And of course I took the best per of precautions that I 
could, you know, wearing a mask in the home or just making sure I'm always washing my hands. But, you know, there, there was definitely still challenges. Like one of the students in the film did get COVID. Some oh, no. of the, you know, one of the parents did get COVID, you know, so yeah. there, there was all of these other hosts of challenges in filming in a pandemic. You know, one moment I had a family that was okay with me being in the home. And then like during Christmas time, it was like, no, you can't film inside, yeah. which was totally understandable. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there would be times where I'd have to film outside, outside of the school, because then the schools wouldn't even let me in either. Mm-hmm. Right. But they were supportive about what I was doing and what I was trying to capture. And they said, Hey, you know, we can't let you in the school, but Hey, we don't mind if you like film the student coming out of school and you can interview them from outside and they're right outside yeah. the school or something like that. So, you know, there's been a lot of challenges, but then again, a lot of support from the community, knowing that I'm trying to shine a light on this education crisis that's happening in our country right now, particularly with with our first gen students, students have come from low income families that are, you know, even more vulnerable right now. So yeah, so that's, that's the project, I guess, in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And and I was going to ask you the, the, the next question, but I think you already covered it very well about the type of response and the undertaking that you've had to do. It's a huge project. What have you enjoyed the most about taking this on? What, what, what's, uh, what have you liked about this project? Uh, yes, huge undertaking for sure. I didn't realize, I think I was naive coming into this, but again, I think that I was just focused on doing like the, the five week summer program. And then that was it. I was going to be done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, what I've learned or what I've come out of so far is just a greater sense of purpose for my mm-hmm. life. I think, mm-hmm. um, looking back on this year, I realized how precious life is. I think death is a very real thing right now. Right. And I was just thinking like, especially in those beginning days of the pandemic and isolation, like, what if, what if someone in my family got this? Like, what if I got this? What if I died? You know, would my life have mattered? You know, and I started asking those questions and, um, I, I just had the sense of urgency to, to do something that mattered. And, and that's this project. And I, I want to, so what have I learned? I, I found purpose for my life. And I feel that making awareness around trio upward bound trio in general, all of the programs, um, greater awareness of, of, of resources that trio provides, um, and, and making college access something that's available to, to students who desire that, to students that um, are first gen. That is my goal in this project, creating yeah. access to higher education for those who deserve it, for those who want it. Yes. You know, yes. the kids in Upper Bound, students of Upper Bound, they want to go to college. They are intelligent, hardworking individuals. We know that, right? Um, they just need the door of opportunity to be swung open for them, especially mm-hmm. in this time of crisis that we're in, in this pandemic that we're in. It's still not over, okay? And um, there's going to be lasting effects on on students for years to come, this catch-up that we have to play because 
kids have been at home trying to virtual learn and they've lost that connection that they've had with, with their teachers and their learning environment, right? Like even I know at least for our upward bound program locally at Hope College, like the students can't go on Hope College's campus. They can't have in-person tutoring right now. Mm-hmm. They haven't for the last year. You know, yeah. I hear the kids struggling and feeling sort of affecting their mental health as well, right? right. right. Um, that's another crisis that, that we are facing in our country right now, mental health issues that this pandemic has created. Absolutely. So, anyway, Absolutely. no, that's a that's a great conversation, and I think something we can definitely about talk about, um, and for future episodes, absolutely. Um, so, I want to really get to the meat of how can Trio alum, staff, students, or even the general audience help support your project? Yes. So, um, like I said, I've been filming since July of 2020, and we're going to continue with production until for two more months, right? So this sort of ending, I'm gonna make an end to this filming, right? Cause I guess you could you could keep filming, right? I just talked to somebody who's a bit of a mentor for me with this project. And she said, you gotta know when to put the camera down. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're gonna put the camera down when the four of the students in the film graduate, which is in May of this year. So we got about two more months left of production. Um, and so how can you help? Um, you can, I'm going to be kicking off a Kickstarter um, that is a, a, a crowdfunding platform and Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform that helps creative projects come to life. There you can pledge um, a donation to help uh, fund uh, the rest of the project, right? So like I'm donating my time, I um, am giving of this and my efforts, but it is, it is expensive to uh, create a film to create a documentary. One of the big things that I need right now is an editor for to help me with this project because it's it, I have a lot of, of footage. So I'm launching this Kickstarter. You can find it at First Voice Generation on Instagram or Facebook, or you can follow me at Running Journal. Um, and so on both of those social media feeds will be the Kickstarter link which is launching on March 20th and you can make a pledge there. And right now I understand, you know, a lot of people are in different financial situations because of this pandemic. And I completely understand that. So if you're not able to give in a financial way, if you're able to share the, the Kickstarter link on your social media feeds or with anyone who wants to help, um, bring awareness to first-gen students, to trio programming, to a Latina filmmaker, right? I think also in film, we don't see a lot of women in diversity and that's another narrative I'm trying to change. So if you wanna support all of those things, you can do that. It is a tax deductible donation. So for those people who are looking for that benefit, you donate, you will get a tax deductible donation. Um, And so, yeah, you just follow that link on the Kickstarter through my social media feeds. And um, you can support us that way. So, yeah. Great. And we will have the link as well as well for the audience. We'll put the uh, Kickstarter link on our social media sites as well for Let's Talk Trio. That way you can find Cynthia's work and help support that. Because um, as you experience, Cynthia, there's very little media for Trio programs. Correct. This is true. And again, I want to shine a, a light on that because, you know, TRIO is the largest federally funded educational program in the country, right? I mean, and even 
um, I feel like some of the students, the parents that I interviewed, they said, wow, you know, I wish I would have known about upper bound when I was in high school. Yeah. Right. Like there's just not a great enough awareness around trio programs that they are there and they exist. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, I don't know your, your, your question though. was probably, Oh no, no, it was, it was kind of off the cuff and I, I appreciate that you were able to kind of run with it, uh, with me on that one, uh, no pun intended on either one. Um, but do, what do you hope to accomplish once this film is completed? Um, yeah, you know, I want to bring greater awareness to, um, this educational crisis that we're in, particularly for, um, you know, first gen students, uh, you know, this pandemic has only exacerbated this paradigm, right? The challenges that these kids have. Um, I want to create a greater sense of, like if we want greater social mobility in this country, we need to answer the call and lift up our most vulnerable citizens and, and allow them the access to higher education. It's not one single institution right? Mm-hmm. Not one single institution or government issues. This is a society issue and it takes all of us to address that. And so I just want to create awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what is some, now that we're kind of at the tail end of the podcast, Cynthia, what is some advice you would share with aspiring directors or producers? Now that you've been, you've done that, you've done that sort of work. What is some advice that you would give to aspiring directors and producers? Yeah, as a runner, right, I'm I'm very familiar with running marathons and uh, making a film is a lot like that, right? Like I still have a long ways to go. Even after we finish production, there's all of the post-production, which is a lot of what I I need help financing, right? Um, So making a film is a marathon, not a sprint. It takes time. Um, You have to be humble enough and patient and trust the process and and be able to take constructive criticism. I think in any type of, whether it's news, media, film, like there is a lot of um, sort of, I guess, people looking at your work, it needs to be pretty much perfect, right? And you, and if it's not, you need to be ready to accept the criticism that you may get, right? To make it better or to clarify things better. Uh, that's, that's what media industry is all about. And especially in a time where, you know, there hasn't been the greatest light shined on media in this past four years, (laughs) right? Like there's even a greater (laughs) greater sense of like getting your facts straight and sure the information that you have is backed up by, by sources you know, right. and, and um, so just know that it's, it's, it's not an easy industry, but if you're passionate about giving a voice or light on an issue that you're, you're particularly passionate about through film or, or through news, like you will do well in this, like you will, because your passion and your drive will carry you through. You just got to be humble enough and trust the process. All right. Now that you have a moment that you're capturing, let, let's let's hope that students are listening in, whether they're upward bound or other trio participants. What would you like to say to them at this moment? I would say for the younger audience, uh, don't care about what others think. <laughs> I, I think I spent so much time in my younger years and in my 20s worried about what other people thought of me. And none of that matters. You know, you need to do the best 
you need to do and trust the things that matter to you. You need to trust your gut. Uh, if you have a goal or dream that you want to achieve, do that. You can do that. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing or what someone else may say that you can't do this because of X, Y, Z. And for the older, you know, for trio alumni, you know, I, I grad, I'm just going to put it out there. Full disclaimer. I, I graduated high school in 2000, right? So, um, that was 20 years ago and now I'm doing this film. Like it's never too late. Like if you, if you want to go get that master's degree, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to start that business or thing or write that book, do it. It's never too late. I think there's this misconception that we like, we run out of time at a certain age. No, you, you don't, you know, it's never too late to make a difference in this world. Some very good piece of advice. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Uh, you are truly a great example of a TRIO alum giving back to the TRIO programs. Uh, and I want to thank you so much for your time and for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Juan. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and to share my story. And um, I, I'm so grateful. Absolutely. Can you do us the honor in signing off? Yes. Uh, this is Cynthia Martinez, and I'm a proud alumna of the TRIO Upward Bound Program at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. TRIO works. Cynthia, magnificent sign off. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Juan. I appreciate your time. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk Trio. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public. What a great episode with Cynthia Martinez, Trio Upward Bound Hope College alumna, graduate of Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism in New York City. Cynthia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You can follow Cynthia on Instagram at runningjourno. Uh, again, that's her handle, runningjourno, or follow her film at First Voice Generation. Remember, you too can be on the podcast. Send us a message via email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Our email is letstalktrio at gmail.com or send us a direct message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We want to hear and share your story on this podcast. A huge thanks to today's sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Rosario Riley, Student Access, and Gerber Tours. Thank you all so much for your continued support of the podcast. You too can be a patron of the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Go to Patreon and select your patron level. Our entry-level patron starts at $1 a month. This benefits gets you a shout-out on the podcast along with some other neat perks. If you own a business, you can be a sponsor or patron of the podcast and we will run your ad on this podcast. Contact us for details. Another great way to support the podcast is to subscribe to Let's Talk Trio. Download the podcast episodes via your favorite podcast platform and share your favorite episodes on your social media platforms as well. A special thanks to our honorary members of Let's Talk Trio, Scott Kendall, Roderick Chambers, and Tony Ho. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio technician, tech advisor, editor, and music producer. Amelia Castañeda, marketing manager, social media manager, script advisor, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to get the latest updates. 
Thank you all so much for listening and for continuing to support the Let's Talk Trio podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode.